0: Simon, could you put the chorus of that last song up for me, please? Who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I want you to hold that chorus in your hearts as I speak today. Because this speaks of liberty that we have. Yes, we know that's at a cost. That's at a cost to God. But it's not at a cost to me. I have that freedom that liberty because of Jesus because of his death and resurrection because of his shed blood and he made, he has enabled me to become a child of God he's enabled you to become a child of God and you have an amazing liberty in that but we're going to look at the other side of that a little bit today thank you Simon if you could switch over to um to my presentation. Lovely. So we're, we're in this series called Authentic. We're looking at authenticity in our Christian walk. What does it really mean? What's, what do we want people to understand as they look at, at our lives, at my life? What, what do we want people to understand that Christianity is about? Because, you know, I know sometimes in prayer meetings people pray, oh Lord, I really want to be a witness in my workplace. Can I tell you that 100% of the time you are in your workplace, every minute, every second you spend with somebody else, you're a witness. Now, if that doesn't frighten you, nothing will. But it's the truth. You're a witness. So we pray to be witnesses. Actually, what we're praying is, Lord, give me the words to say. But actually, do you know what? You are a witness. And so today, we're talking about authentic morality. Now it's, it's possible I might offend somebody today. I'm sorry. No, seriously. Seriously, it's possible I might, I might offend somebody with what, what I'm going to say today. But in part, that's, that's part of it really. Because as, as Helen said last week in her introduction, Christ is our foundation, that cornerstone. But before He becomes our cornerstone, which we build our lives on, Christ is a stumbling block. We had to fall over the challenge of the deity, of of the lordship of Jesus Christ before we could enter into this amazing gift that he has for us. We had to say, you are God. You are Lord. And I give my life to you. That doesn't just mean, oh, on Sunday mornings. It means those minutes and seconds at work. It means all that time. So I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 1. If You've got one of the blue Bibles there. That's page 1147. Uh, if you've got another Bible, I'm sorry you're on your own with that one. Um, but it's it's towards the end of the big book, okay? Um, Helen did a really good job, an excellent job. Thank you, Helen, last week for introducing this series. Uh, and you all, you highlighted... That authentic Christianity doesn't rest on going and listening to the best preachers, reading the really good books, or having the best music, but in knowing who Jesus is and that you are his. You belong to him. He set us free, but we belong to him. We're not slaves to fear or slaves to sin. Paul says we're slaves to righteousness, Paid for by the greatest ever price. He's your Lord, he's your King, he's your God. And then building your life on that foundation. That is authentic Christianity. And I have to tell you that's not a popular message today. And it certainly wasn't a popular message in Corinth all those years ago. So if we turn to this section then, I will just read, I'm not going to read it all because I've been given the bit all the way through to 7.16. So if you've got a a Bible with with headlines, we're talking about how sexual immorality defiles the church, about how people in the church are bringing lawsuits against each other, and then Paul rounds it out again by saying, look, you need to flee, flee from sexual immorality. And he starts off like this, 5.1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. They're boasting about this. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. And he goes on. Uh, through this, about how he's not there, but he's present with spirit. Picking up on verse 6 again. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may become a new lump as you were really, uh, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth. There's two other kind of synonyms, if you like, for authenticity. Sincerity and truth. We're going to be looking at some, maybe some slightly tricky things, um, but I do want to, so in this section, let's just have a look at that. Paul talks to the church about two issues here, sexual immorality and disputes among believers. Perhaps we need to ask, why has this arisen? Well, heaven laid that background last week. There were factions in the body. I'm for Kephas, I'm for Apollos, I'm for Christ. What does that tell us? They were following men's ideas and not God's. I think, I, I must admit, I tried to put myself into Paul's uh, shoes as he's writing this. And I wonder, if he'd been an Old Testament prophet, I think he would have been at the point of tearing his clothes at this point uh, and throwing ashes all over his body. And he's saying, look, guys, it's all about Jesus. Okay? That's what he's saying. Now, I do want to clarify two things before we jump really deeply into this passage. Number one, we have to understand that Paul, in all the things I'm going to be saying, Paul is speaking to believers, people who know and profess the love of Christ. So when he says, as we read in there, don't associate with immoral people. He's not. He's talking about immoral believers. If you look at verse 10 and verse 11 of chapter 5 there, you'll see that. He tells us God's mission, you know, Christ's mission is to a world where morality is subjective. What do I mean by that? My morality is more important than what you might tell me. It's subject to what I think. I can decide what's good for me and what's not good for me. You can't tell me. How many of you know that today, the spirit of today is you can't tell me what to do? Yeah. Do you see it in school, love? Yeah. You can't tell. It's amazing because what they see in schools is what our our society is becoming, don't forget. That's where things are going. So it's about that. Morality is subjective. The view of the individual is more important. It's not open to judgment uh, by man, certainly not open to judgment by God, because you know society refuses to hear that message completely. Have you seen those posters, No Man Can Judge Me? I saw one of those once, and I thought, no, you're right. God is my judge. But actually, do I stand apart from people? Do I tell people, you can't judge me? Who are you to tell me what to do? There are certainly people in my life who I do give that privilege to. No, Paul is talking about people in the church because he says, look, if I stand apart from the world and and judge them, even in their immorality, how can I reach them? Jesus did not stay away from those in need of his love. Of course he didn't. That's what he came. He came, he lived, he walked, he ate with sinners. He came next to them in their shame, in their situation, and offered not judgment, but life. Read what he did. Read what he said. If he, if he was judgmental against anybody, he reserved that for the holier-than-thou people, the religious people, who should have been doing what he actually came to do, should have been telling people about the love of God instead of judging them. So firstly, Paul is speaking to believers in terms of their morality here, not unbelievers. Secondly, in talking about disputes uh, and legal action and so on uh, in outside courts, Paul is talking about disagreements. In fact, he says in in chapter 6, verse 2, trivial matters. Okay? Trivial matters. I don't know. How trivial could it have been? Whether we have real coffee or instant coffee in the cafe, uh, I don't know. (laughs) That's that's, that's, indisputable, I know. But, but, you know, trivial matters, not criminal acts. Okay? So, I have to say, not taking things to court does not apply, for instance, if there's... Should there ever be? God forbid. A case of child abuse within the church. That is not something we deal with internally among brothers. Yes, we address that and sort it out, but our civic duty is clear, is clear on that issue. We have to take that to the outside authorities. We don't just have a legal obligation to do those things, we have a moral one too. Okay, so just to kind of test your, your kind of limits a little bit, there's one boundary. I guess we would, we wouldn't argue, I hope, that if there's been a case of child abuse within the church, that is being, you know, we're taking that to the law. We're reporting that. It is our duty, of course it is. Morally, as well as civically. But let's just think, what about other things? Um, what about theft? We know of a case of theft, do we take that to law? If we know somebody's Defrauding on their tax. What do we do with that? Do we just counsel them or do we take something, take that outside as well? Uh, I'm not going to give you the answers to these. I want you to think. Case of drunk driving. What do we do as that? Town pastors, when we're out on the streets and we see somebody drunk and is about to get in their car. What do we do about it? Domestic violence in the church. What do we do about that? Yes, it can happen. Sometimes our duty is clear. At other times... We know there are other factors to consider. What, what does the law require of a good citizen? It's always a good test to have, and I think that comes under the whole issue of, you know, Caesar's head on the coin, and Jesus said you should you should give to Caesar what is his due. We're part of a society. Okay, so just those two caveats then, uh, and, and so to move on to, if you like, and sorry about the pun I just said. We need to move on to the nitty gritty. Uh, it's in my notes. The real issues. What are the real issues at work here in the church in Corinth? Well, that idea of liberty is uh, exactly what I'm talking about at the moment. So, lawsuits, blah, blah, blah. Okay, we're moving on to that one there. Okay, so that's where we are. Um, What's at the real heart of this issue is this matter of grace or liberty versus license. My own individual liberty, thoughts, ideas, etc., against the sovereignty of God. Is it I did it my way, or is it I did it God's way? That tendency which some of them had to pick and choose which leader to follow, depending on what suited their personal whims or likes or desires, that has affected the church. It's, it's, it's like a disease. It's, it's begun to infect the whole church, other parts of their lives, even their morality, how they live their lives. Someone should think of it in that way. Maybe think of it in that way in our life. And we, we were singing whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Yes, I am free. But free to do what? Free to do what? So, let's look at this thing of of lawsuits. How long did it take the church to to start to have complaints and disputes in the body? Not long at all, was it, darling? No, it wasn't long at all. So, there we are. Let me set the scene. Beginning of Acts. Acts 2. Pentecost. Whoa! Holy Spirit comes. The church is born. Thousands of people added. Fellowship of believers, they're holding everything in common. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you just love it and wish the church was like that? And there's great and amazing wonders happening all the time to encourage them. And if that's not good enough, there's some really harsh persecution as well to so make sure they keep on the straight and narrow. This is heady days at the beginning of the church. Acts 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Uh oh. <laughs> The Hellenists versus the Hebrews. It's not fair. They're getting more food than us. It's What's going to happen? And there's moans and grumbles. I have to say, this is a trivial dispute, isn't it? Really. This isn't about who's saved and who isn't. This isn't about, is Jesus really the Son of God? This is a trivial dispute. And so they dealt with it. Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor... Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, we only ever remember Stephen, don't we? They were all chosen and appointed to sort it out. So I think we can take from that that in the life of the body there's going to be some disputes, okay, some niggles, some upsets. What's happening in Corinth is that some of those people who were disgruntled weren't getting the result they wanted. And so they took their trivial complaints and differences and went to the outside courts to get them settled. (sighs) Paul is clear on this. He says, look, you have already lost your case just by going outside. He says, you've lost it between each other. Can you not settle this between you? Is there not one wise person in the church who can help you work this out and decide? No, you've gone outside, so you've lost Even before you go to court, you've lost. You've lost it between you. You've also, I think, lost it before the world as well. And this is where I say earlier, you know, that every moment in your workplace, in in the world, your life is a witness. How you deal with things in those places, your life is a witness. Because, you know, he says, well, Jesus says this, isn't it? Jesus says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. How? How? Because you love one another. And, and if I love you, Taya, am I going to take you to court? Hopefully not. <laughs> no, of course not. Isn't it awful? Let me give you a, a kind of example, a, a similar picture. Isn't it awful when families have to go to court to settle stuff? Has anybody been involved even peripherally with that in their family, friends? Yeah, us too. Yeah, isn't it horrible? Isn't it the worst place to be? It's horrible. It really is. And that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. The family of God are going to court. No wonder Paul says you've lost. It's bad enough that that you should have these, these trivial differences. But now you've had to take it out and air it all in public. That's awful. So disputes, they are a part of life, you know. Even in families, we have these little disputes, don't we? Uh, even in the body. Trivial matters, Paul says, look, you can deal with those amongst brothers and sisters. Of course you can. Taking them outside to a court or whatever is losing your case, it destroys the public witness. Practical example. It's always good to give a practical example. Um, so, for instance, uh, let me just say... So when I, I started working here, before that I had a job, um, uh, I have a job now, <laughs> but I worked in the world, and I have always been, when I worked in the world, part of the relevant Trade Union. Now, I have to say the unions I was in, they, they weren't very militant, um, they were all very nice and, and, and cuddly, uh, we were talking about civil public service, so you know, we, we would discuss things quite well. Um, but I was kind of surprised as, as I was transitioning from one job to the other to find that my union also represents clergy. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I couldn't get that. I must admit, I couldn't get that. Why, why would a vicar, minister in a church, whatever, need to have a union? Well, I can think of some reasons, but for me, it seemed very wrong to expect a secular body to be able to deal with issues in the body of Christ. Trustees, I don't know how you feel about that, um, but don't you think we should be able to sort some things out in terms of my employment? There's a few trustees here with some other trustees. Don't you really think we should be able to sort that out? But I should be free to join. (laughs) I love the grace of this man, thank you. But I thought, no, I resigned. When I resigned from my other job, I resigned from my trade union because I thought actually we should be able to sort this out, and if we can't, there is something very rotten in the state of Denmark, believe me. So, and that also, funnily enough, that also yes, (laughs) well it would be, wouldn't there? There'd be a lot of infighting, and and that's another reason actually. So some of you will know, members will know that we're part of of Plumline Ministries, and and they give us some protection, some oversight, both spiritually but also organisationally. And that's part of why we're, we're a member of Plumline, because they give us that other outside layer, if you like, to appeal to if we can't agree. You know, if trustees and, and, and I can't agree about terms of my employment, we can say, well, let's, let's talk to Plumline. And, 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 in fact, we, we always do, because beforehand we've spoken to them about my contract, for instance. So, you know, we've consulted with them over that. But that brings me to my last point, we're not just talking maybe about the high court or the magistrate courts. What about the court of public opinion? Facebook. Do you take your complaints, your disputes, uh, your, your dissatisfactions, uh, within the body and, and air them on Facebook? Do you clash with other Christians on Facebook about your politics, your theology? Or your morality, um, I wonder what kind of witness that would send to anybody and everybody if we were to do that. Not good, not good. Okay, so that's lawsuits among against believers. I think uh, Paul makes it quite clear. You know, that's 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 really not a good thing. You should be able to sort those minor things out between yourselves. Then he moves on. Uh, and he starts to readdress sexual immorality again. And if you look at verses uh, chapter six, verses nine and ten, you'll find yourselves a nice little list of immoral acts. And he talks about these unrighteous acts uh, and how you know this, this this shouldn't be. He says, "Look, the righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, and don't be deceived by that." Don't think that any of these things are good for you at all. And he ends in 11, saying, look, some of you were like that, but you were washed. You were sanctified. What does that mean? It means set apart. You were washed and set apart for God. Sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So he's bringing it back to that where we are. We are part of the family of God. And he says, look, you know, these things are not good. And then he exhorts them to flee from sexual immorality. I want to ask a question right at the very beginning of this. And that is, what's so special? Is there anything special about sexual sin? I don't know. Have we heard that message that sin is sin? That all sin is sin. That no sin is worse or or less worse than the other. There's no big sins or little sins, perhaps people might tell you. It's true that the law has not been taken away. Christ has fulfilled the law for us, but it has not passed away. And so, in a sense, I would be arguing two different cases at this point if I were to say that some sins are okay or, or not so bad. I'll be just like Paul, Uh, the people Paul is speaking to are saying, well, I can do this, that's all right. You know, I can choose, look at uh, verse verse 12 of chapter 6, I can choose what's okay for me, maybe. And and that's, you know, that's going to be all right. I can take responsibility. There it is, chapter 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. That's in quotes, that means that's what they're saying. All things are are lawful for me. Paul comes back with saying, yes, but not all things are good for you. All things are lawful for me, they might say. But do you know what? Paul says, I will not be dominated by anything. What is this issue then of sex? Paul says this uh, from verse 13, second half of verse 13. He says this, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. The body is is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise up us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies, your bodies, my body, your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know That he who is joined, okay, that means having sex with, let's make that clear. He who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. For it is written, the two will become one flesh. That puts the whole realm of sexual sin in a slightly different light. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, Verse 19 says that. Colossians 1.27 tells you that Christ dwells within you. So I ask you this question. In any act of sexual immorality, who is present? Well, I'm there, aren't I? (laughs) I, I'm I'm there if I'm committing an act of sexual immorality. So, me? Not (laughs) Olivia. No, but I am. So, me. I, I am there. Who else is there? Well, there's somebody else there a little bit more present as well. <laughs> if, it's a, if it's an immoral act with another person, then they are there. That's what Paul is saying. If I'm having sex with a prostitute, our bodies are being joined. But he's also saying God is there. Because, you know, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ dwells in me he's saying look in doing that you are making your body a member of the body of christ one with a prostitute you are making the wider body of christ one with a prostitute so in that act who is present well god is the holy spirit is there i dare say he flees but you know this is what we're doing in an act of sexual immorality Let's look back at some some underlying uh, truth on that. Then, what what happens in the Old Testament? Idolatry. Okay, let's think about idolatry. Did God like idolatry in the Old Testament? Does He like it now? No, He doesn't. Was it one of the awful things that He really, really detested that the Israelites kept doing? Did He keep pushing them back out in, in, into the wilderness, or or letting people invade because of idolatry? All of those. Wasn't the whole struggle? a struggle of serving God and God alone and keeping wavering backwards and forwards from that. (laughs) Idolatry, serving other gods, in the Old Testament is equated with adultery and prostitution. Indeed. Interesting. And so in the New Testament, Jesus equates the relationship between himself and the church as marriage. Absolutely. So, here's the difficult question for you all. What is unique to marriage which completes and fulfills it? If I say the word consummation, does that help you? Yes. Yeah, fidelity is just, is how we treat that, okay? We want, we want to have a fidelitous relationship. So what do you conclude then? Is sex just another appetite, like that for food? Or is there something else going on here? I can have any number of friends of the opposite sex, female friends. I can share pretty much any number of different activities with them. But one activity between myself and a woman is unique to my marriage. That is fidelity. So let's just take this a little bit further. I hope you're following me in this. If we're going to follow the true Jesus way, it's not just about whether I get into bed with somebody else, is it? Jesus' teaching is that being angry brings us, if you like, subject to the same judgment as murdering someone. Or, he says, goes on to say, anyone who just looks at a woman lustfully is guilty of adultery in their heart. So on the one hand, we've got the Old Testament and the Old Testament law, and on this hand, we now have what Jesus says. And this is where we are in our freedom, everybody. So, looking at a woman lustfully, guilty of adultery in her heart, so that's porn dealt with, okay? It's no excuse, is there? I think also that little bit of flirting as well that little bit of flirting that we do that makes us feel good, you know, that, that, that makes us feel like somebody cares for us, what are we doing there? We're looking for something that we perhaps feel we're not getting within our marriage or within our relationship with God. We're looking for that affirmation. Yeah, maybe I'm okay. Maybe, maybe I've still got it, you know. Maybe people might still fancy me at the age of 62. Janice does, I have to say. That's good enough for me. <laughs> What about micro-cheating? Have you heard about micro-cheating? Have you not heard about micro-cheating? You guys are really, really separate. Really separate from the world, aren't you? You're so holy and sanctified. That's really good. This is micro-cheating. Yeah, look it up. But be careful where you look it up. Uh, It's those little, tiny, not quite flirty things we do on Facebook. It's those little tiny things that where we allow people to have a little bit more of our lives than we should do. Somebody of the opposite gender. Those kinds of things. This is, this is something that's discussed on many forums in the newspapers all over the place. Is it okay to micro cheat? No! <laughs> Sorry, it isn't. Boundaries. Um, who's, got, who's speaking next? Is it Claire, chapter 7? It must be. Yeah, she's got the, the, the advice about marriage, hasn't she? Uh, <laughs> so she's got that. Boundaries. Yes, look, Paul says, you're saying, everything's okay for me. I'm free. It's good. It's all right. Paul is saying, well, do you know what? Yeah, but not everything's good for you. These things have a negative effect in our lives. And that is why Paul says this, chapter 6, verse 18. Flee. Flee. What does flee mean? Is that passive? Is it active? Is it very active? Do you flee from something that's dangerous or something that's just kind of a little bit bland? Flee. Run for your life from sexual immorality. All other sins, Paul says, this is the Bible... All other sins a person commits are outside of the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And by extension, the body. So there we are. If you want a difference, if you want a reason for thinking that sexual sin is different from any other kind of sin, Paul says it. All other sins are a person commits outside of the body but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Paul is deeply concerned for this this child of his, this church, this part of the body, these wonderful people. He is deeply concerned for them. And his concern is to keep the whole body safe. And it's for that reason that he talks about expelling the wicked person in 5.12. We can perhaps... Skip back to 5 and have a look at some of those things. Presumably, this is in the context, because it's in that same little bit of writing. In, in context, he's talking about this man who's sleeping with his father's wife. Might not be his mother in that situation, but we're still talking about sleeping with his father's wife. His concern is for the whole body. 5, 6, and 7. We read it earlier. Your boasting is not good. Do you know that a little leaven... What's the word there for leaven? In Yeast, in, in Greek, it's zymos or zyme. Um, scientists amongst you will instantly be thinking enzyme. Yeah, absolutely. A little leaven, he says, affects the whole lump. What is an enzyme? It's a catalyst. It's something which creates change in biological molecules but is not consumed itself. So what's he saying? This this person, this, this, this evil stuff within the church is going to change the whole church. They won't change. You will. He says, that person has to go. Because why? Well, they and others he's talking to here, they've taken that foundation that's been laid in Christ and they've built on it with straw. They haven't built on it with bricks from the word of God cemented together by the love of Christ, they have built on it with straw. This straw of license, this straw of individual preference, not the gospel of truth. It looked good to them. It looked good to them, but ultimately, it is all going to burn. And they will escape death, um, Helen said it last week, only as one running from a fire. Hence, the flames on this, this series slide. All that stuff which we try to build on, which is not of God, which is us, which is us trying to do things man's way, not God's way, that is going to burn. We will escape because we're saved. There's, there's some good news there, but what do you want to do? Do you want to enter heaven as a refugee? Do you want to enter heaven as a refugee or as someone who brings something amazing with them? who brings the things that God has given them to do, who brings a life that has been built on that foundation, that cornerstone, but built of the bricks of the gospel, the bricks of the word of God, cemented together by the love of Jesus. Do you want to take that with you as your inheritance? Paul doesn't want to see the whole church ending up that way. The rot was spreading. Else he wouldn't have to write that to the whole church. He would have just written to individuals or come and seen individuals. Again, remember, he's not speaking to unsaved people, but to those counting themselves as among the elect. What's the answer? Be authentic. Get real in your Christian life. Authentic Christians know both their position in Christ and their weaknesses. And they know God's power to transform and change and renew those weaknesses. In order to understand that more deeply, I can invite you to come on a Freedom in Christ course. Who's done Freedom in Christ Discipleship course? Good, quite a few. Good, that's brilliant. Because in that we look at what it means to be in Christ. And we look at the truth in the Bible and how we can be who God says I am. Another line from that song, I am who you, God, say I am. If we can sing that, we're being authentic. We need to grow in Christ-like humility. Not thinking, I know better than what the word says. Christ-like humility and Holy Spirit strength. We need to rely on the firm foundations of Jesus and his word. We also need to cultivate strong and supportive accountability. I don't think any of these people were accountable. Why do I think that? Because they were going outside to the outside courts to say, oh yes, court of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, do you say I can do this sexual immoral act or not? It was trivial things they were looking at. I've now turned it into the big thing. So cultivate strong, supportive accountability within the body. Have those people you can talk to. I do. And that's hard because I lead the church here. Yes, I need to be humble as well. But there's things I need to talk about with people, and things I struggle with. Another reason for being part of Plumline Line Ministries. I know I can always talk to David and Kathy. Mike and Taya are people I can talk to. People who've shown that they've built their lives on that foundation and built with truth and strength over many years within this church. There are others. There are people in Plumline Line I can talk to and so on. As accountable relationships. Conclusion. That's actually the next slide. Conclusion. Um, have we got time to sing that last song again? Please come up. Conclusion. In the Old Testament, under law, punishments were harsh, weren't they? They were harsh because they were a reflection. Remember, the Old Testament is looking forward to what's coming. They were a reflection of eternal judgment. But now, Jesus has fulfilled the law. Matthew 5, 17 and 18 says that. He has fulfilled the law. For those who believe and trust in him. We, you and I, could never meet the law's requirements, so Jesus did. That's grace. That's amazing. And I I just think that should fill us with so much humility. So much humility. Almighty God. Who am I in front of Almighty God? And yet he delivered me from my sin. He welcomed me as I was into his family. So I should be humble before that. I shouldn't use his grace as an excuse for license. I shouldn't be thinking, as as Paul quotes them, saying, I have the right to do anything, because as Paul tells them back, not everything's good. Neither should I be setting myself on a pedestal, boasting of my enlightenment in God. 5 2, they were proud. Instead. I should look to Jesus as Lord, as my Lord, and obey his commands. So to bring us back, we sang, we're going to sing, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. In freedom in Christ, we get to grips with what that really means, to be in Christ. We get a hold of it. We look at the truth. We look at the truth so so that I might know who I am who the new me is, the, the redeemed and restored Tony that Christ has welcomed, and start to live in that new thing so that I can say, I am who you say I am. Not just against the enemy's attacks, but when I get tempted inside. No, that's, that's not me. Jesus says, I'm a child of God. Would a child of God do that? That is the strength I have. Just as we sing this, I'm going to give you an opportunity. The way through this, if you're struggling with any of these things, is confession. Do you know, unless we realize and confess that we're, we're messing up, we can't move on. I had to understand that I was a sinner before I could approach Jesus and say, I accept your salvation. Unless I, I acknowledge through confession that I've got any kind of problem, I can't move on. But then, thank you, Jesus, I can move on to repentance I can repent of those things in my life and say, Lord, I am going to turn away from this and make that, that decision. Repentance isn't an emotion. Repentance is a decision. I will decide to do this. And then I can know the restoration that Jesus has bought for me. And I can believe that he will transform my life again, even more, even in those things. So just as we sing, thank you, Simon, you can turn it off now. Just as we sing, if you want to come forward for prayer, Janice and I will be here, Claire will be here, uh, David and Kathy, if you're available, you can come on on this side as well. While we're singing, not afterwards, because then we'll be busy clearing up and things. While we're singing, come to the front. If there's anything you want to confess and repent of, you can do that. If there's anything where you just want some prayer, um, you can do that. If you want more of God in your life, Come forward for that as well. There may be a bit of confession in there too. You never know. Come forward and we will pray and we will stand with you that you can be who God says you are.